0: Truth is all I have to I'm going to backtrack a little bit because we just jump right in with the matter has been expressed by Kant in many passages and we say, what matter? So we won't do that. We'll do it some other way. We'll go back a paragraph. We'll start at the beginning of the paragraph. We cannot then be certain that what we see is the unchallengeable reality of things. We base this on the fact that the senses are unreliable. We cannot really depend on what we see. For example, the stars, and we see them in a certain place, or we look at the sun and we see it in a certain place, and it's really not there. They're really not there. They were there thousands of years ago, but they're not there now. And so wherever they are, they are in reality where they are, but their reality is for them where they are. Our reality is for us where they are. Our reality is not their reality because our senses, our sense organs, especially sight, is unreliable because of the time it takes for light to pass through the ether to our eyes. And with the sun, we know that that's eight minutes. So when we look at the sun, we see the sun where it was eight minutes ago. The sun sees itself where it is right now, but we don't. We cannot then be certain that what we see is the unchallengeable reality of things. If our senses worked in a different way, if we had more senses or fewer, what we customarily call reality would be different. I know, well, we all know a girl who was born blind and her reality is different from our reality. She said to me one time, you know, people think that it must be terrible being blind because all you see is black, just blackness. She said, no, there's no blackness. There's nothing. Blackness is only relative to light. And if you have never experienced light, you cannot experience blackness. So her reality was entirely different from our reality. But we don't know that. We have no way of knowing that. We take all that for granted. And so we think we know, when actually we don't know. And now the matter has been expressed by Kant in many passages, in one of which he says that if the subjective constitution of the senses in general were removed the whole constitution and all the relation of objects in space and time, no, space and time themselves, would vanish. And if our senses were changed, the appearance of objects would change. For as appearances, they cannot exist in themselves, but only in us. Nothing is really there until you see it in our reality. If our senses don't pick it up, for us, it is not there. Is it there in reality? Yes, but it's not our reality. So we cannot then be certain that what we see is the unchallengeable reality of things. He goes on to say what objects are in themselves apart from all the receptivity of our sensibility remains completely unknown to us. So what objects are in themselves apart from all of our ability to receive them with our senses is completely unknown to us. We know nothing but our mode of perceiving them, a mode which is peculiar to us. You know that dogs do not see colors. They don't have, I can't remember which it is, it's cones and rods. They don't have one. We have both. They don't have one. And so they don't see color. They just see in black and white. But they have smell-o-vision, so they can smell in technicolor. But they can't see color like we can see color. And so their world is entirely different from our world. They don't rely on their eyes as much as they rely on their noses. If we relied on our noses, well, we'd have a lot more bruises, scrapes, bumps, even than Jess. We'd have a lot more. But we rely on our eyes because our eyes bring us so much more than a dog's eyes bring them. We know nothing but our mode of perceiving, a mode which is peculiar to us and not necessarily shared by every being. What is it in us that begins to raise objections to this view of the relative reality of the visible world? We're firmly anchored to what the senses show us. Perceptible reality is the starting point of our thought. We begin thinking. We begin reasoning. We begin logic from perceptible reality, what we can perceive through our senses, which we have just seen are faulty and unreliable in almost every way apart from how we see it, and we share that. And we're not even sure we share that. We're not even sure that people see what we see when they look at something. And we're darn sure that people don't hear what we hear when they hear something. It was so funny. Connie and Steve were talking the other day. I think it was Sunday. and They were talking, and Connie was telling her experience of something. Now, they were both in the same room at the same meeting with the same people. Connie told her experience of it, and Steve said, Wow, I didn't get that at all. And so Connie then tried to explain it more. And Steve said, that's not the way I saw it. As if, if she kept on explaining it, he would see it that way. Because that's what we do. We try to get people to agree with our perception. And what that does is that validates our perception, which really validates us, our prejudices, our pictures, our associations, our arguments, and our insanity. If we can get other people, we can get enough people to agree that what we saw is what happened then it proves that we're not insane. It proves that anyone who didn't see that is insane. And in case you hadn't noticed, we're all about proving how sane we are. We're all about getting agreement for our universe, for our perceptions, because we are firmly anchored to what the senses show us. Perceptible reality is the starting point of our thought. Sense thinking characterizes the natural action of the mind, and we refer to sense as final proof. But that's what you said. I heard you. I heard you with my own ears. That's what you said. If you're saying something different now, you're lying. Our final proof is our senses. And we wonder why we can't get along on this planet. We wonder why we have billions and billions and billions of dollars stockpiled in nuclear weapons to prove that the final proof of anything is what we think. Sense thinking, based on our perception. I perceive you as an enemy, therefore I have to have billions of dollars worth of atomic weapons to blow you off the face of the planet and anyone related to you or living near you. Because you're the enemy. My senses have told me that and I believe them. And all of my thought is based on that. That's why we can't get along. It's not necessary to think that appearances themselves are illusions or that the senses show us an illusory world. See, people go right to formatory thinking. Well, then the senses are all illusions. They're not showing us a real world. Really? Like we said last week, if you try to put your head through that wall, you will find that your senses are not completely invalid, that your head will not fit in the same space as that wall. We've talked about this last time. When you're a child, one of the first things you learn is that your head won't fit in the same space that something else is occupying, like a table or a floor or a wall or whatever. We learn that by trying to put our head in the same space. And the pain of that starts to get through to us. And then we stop trying, which is really wise when you think about it. So the senses are not invalid. So it's not necessary to think that appearances themselves are illusions or that the senses show us an illusory world. They show us part of reality, but only a part. It's not the starting point of illusion, rather the taking of appearances for all ultimate reality and the belief that sense perception is the sole standard of the real. So, what is it? Is not the starting point of illusion, rather taking of appearances for all ultimate reality and the belief that sense perception is the only standard of the real? Yes, that's it. The seen world is real, but it doesn't embrace reality. The example? The sun. The seen sun is not there. It is eight minutes away from there. But we perceive it as there when it's actually not there. So the reality, what is real, is not embraced by our perceptions because our perceptions show us something that is not the reality. It's built out of invisible realities which surround it on every side. Our whole reality is built on invisible realities all around us. And we're only seeing a fraction of that. So we see a fraction of reality, but for us, it is total reality, and all of our thinking is based on that, and it's flawed. If you were looking at it logically, you would have to say, the premise is wrong, therefore any conclusion that we come to based on that premise must be incorrect. If you have a false premise and you logically go step by step from the false premise, you must come up with a false conclusion. And so, we start off with a false premise and then wonder why we come up with false conclusions. But of course, we don't really wonder why we come up with false conclusions. We have to question ourselves first. That's not something we readily do because of the sense-based mind, sense thinking. The visible world is contained in a much greater invisible world, invisible to us. And we don't lose one by studying the other, but instead we enlarge one into the other. Studying metaphysics, studying thought, studying the way our psychological being our spiritual being works doesn't eliminate the sense world. The sense world is still there and it's still part of reality. It's just that now our reality has expanded. Our consciousness has expanded. That is the purpose of this, to expand our consciousness, to become aware of things that we are not now aware of. And I don't want to. It makes my head hurt. It's too complex. Can't we just watch a movie? Yes, you can. Rex and James came over today. And I was reading something to them, to them. I thought I was reading to them. And I turned around and I said, what do you think, James? He says, oh, I wasn't paying any attention. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm texting and checking my email. I said, so you're here, how often do you come here? He said, once a week, usually. I said, how much time do you spend here? He said, an hour. And I said, an hour? Am I really that boring to you that 10 or 15 minutes seems like an hour? I said, Rex, how often are you usually here? He says, maybe 20 minutes. I said, so let's be generous and say 20 minutes. 20 minutes seems like an hour to you with me. He just looked at me. What could he say? You know, it's like, oh, man, why does he have to say things like this? Why does he have to ask these kinds of questions? Why doesn't he just leave me alone? No wonder I'm bored. No wonder I want to get out of here. He's making me think. That's how we are. He was texting. He was being somewhere else. Isn't that really what our lives are about? Being somewhere else? Anywhere but here. But our natural everyday logic is so closely connected with sense thinking, it fights against this enlarging of the world. It kicks against the goads. And its actual form of understanding becomes a psychological barrier to further understanding the senses block any further understanding. If we insist that all of our thinking is based on just what the senses show us, which we have already figured out is at least minimum, it's only 20% of the visible light spectrum from the sun. Only 20% of the energy coming from the sun we can perceive through our eyes. So that means that at least 80% of it is invisible to us, to our eyes. We can feel some of it on our skin, some of the lower parts of the spectrum, some of the lower octaves. We can feel some of it on our skin. Some of it we don't feel. It just damages us. And it'll take us years before the damage shows up, radiations that will cause carcinomas on our skin. And we won't know it for years. We won't feel it. We won't know anything about it. But it will be there, and it will be real, and it will be an effect of that radiation that we can't see, that we can't feel, that we can't smell, that we can't taste, that we can't touch. But it'll be real. So all of this blocks us from understanding anything further. That is why we kick against it so. If we could, in some unknown way, apprehend the totality of things apart from the senses, we would, according to many early authorities, perceive the universe as the unity that its name originally implies. Universe unity. Its name implies that it's all connected, that it's all one, that it is a unity of being. We don't see it that way because our senses won't allow it. They are so limited that we can't. And yet, remember the example that I used, I think it was Sunday in our thing, I think it was Ospensky and the ashtray. He saw in the ashtray everything and how scary it was. This is the same thing. If we could see, many early authorities perceived the universe as the unity that its name originally implies. If the senses were eliminated, the world would appear as a unity. That comes from Sufi literature. If the senses were eliminated, the world would appear as a unity. An example of the experiencing of the universal as a vast coherence will be given later. Now, the senses split up the totality of things and in following their evidence we collect an enormous quantity of little separated facts let's go back to white light refracted into colors separates the white light and we see it in colors but it's actually all unified in one light and if we didn't see it in colors we would see it as a unity as one light we forget that they're all merely little bits of one gigantic system these little facts intoxicate us easily they make us drunk And when you're drunk, you're stupid. You just think you're smart when you're drunk. Connie said to me today, some guy, some drunk, ran over a woman in a crosswalk. And he said, I just don't understand it. I drive drunk all the time, and it's never happened to me before. My retort was, I heard a statistic the other day. They said that before you get your first DUI, statistics have shown that you have driven drunk 80 times before you got caught that one time. So the guy makes perfect sense. I drive drunk all the time. I drove drunk 80 times and never ran anybody over in a crosswalk. How could this happen? If you lost one out of 80 times in Las Vegas, do you think they could get you out of there? Think about it. They couldn't get you out of there. You would live there because you'd be winning 79 times. Actually, you'd be winning 80 out of 81 times. Hopefully, after you get your first DUI, the next few are easier to get. I don't know, but I hope that that's the way it is. I hope that after you get your first one, they get easier to get. If not, well, it doesn't matter anyway. I don't drive drunk, so I don't really have to worry about that. But I do every once in a while. I mean, not very often, but occasionally I get in a crosswalk. So I guess I do have to worry about that. And no, I don't have to worry about it, but it is this something I might want to think about from time to time. And I do drive. If you drive, you may want to think about that. You know, there are people out there driving drunk, and they can just run into you. It affects us all. And we're right back to the unity of the universe. Well, what does that drunk driver have to do with me? Well, nothing until he hits you, and then everything. But I love that. If the senses were eliminated, the world would appear as a unity. Right now, the senses split up totality of things. We follow their evidence, collect an enormous quantity of little separated facts forget they're all little bits of a gigantic system, and then we get drunk with all those little facts. We don't merely think that we have discovered something, but created it. We forget. We start out from an already prepared and connected world, which lies behind any little facts that we can discover about it. Look at how egotistical people get over discovering something. Hello, I discovered an asteroid, and they named it after me. That asteroid has my name on it. I wrote a paper about that, and now I won a prize. You see how we get all puffed up and crazy over this idiocy? Wow, you discovered a whole asteroid all by yourself? Oh, no. No, not all by myself. I had Galileo to thank for that with the telescope and then Hubble and then this guy and that guy. In fact, there were thousands of people. Well, then you're going to share the credit with them. Why, no, not at all. I'm not going to share the credit with them. It's going to go right to false personality. It's going to go right to me. We start off from an already prepared and connected world. We too easily forget that we start from a given world. The little facts seem to explain things, to do away with mystery, so that in our conceit we begin to think in a certain way. Seeing life is a question of innumerable little facts, and human existence is something that can be regulated by facts. This is what has led to empirical science to theories that we call fact, to saying, when the Big Bang happened and then all this started, that's not a theory, that's a fact. That's the way the religion of science presents it, as a fact. An immense quantity of labor is expended in collecting more facts, till it seems as if this gathering of facts were going to replace all real life and living experience. There are some people who never get out of the laboratory who never get out of what is that thing in uh, is it switzerland where they got that re where they're smacking the atoms together trying to find the god particle well they found it and you know what they figured out barn <laughs> we just spent 40 dollars to find the god particle and that wasn't it our theory was wrong okay then if you were trying to get investors for a movie and you failed that hugely you'd never make another movie Marie Curie spent all that time in the laboratory, and for her reward, Madame Curie, she got to have her name on, oh, look at what she discovered. She died of cancer from the radiation she inflicted upon herself all those years in that laboratory. Uh, that doesn't seem right. But that is what happens. What happens is, in collecting further facts, we finally end up gathering facts, and somehow that replaces all life and living experience. We live through. It's like people who go around taking pictures all the time. They go on a trip, they go to Europe, they go to Spain, they go to Italy, they go, and they spend their whole time viewing it through the lens of a camera. And then, then what do they do? Then they get home and they have all the pictures, and that's how they experience it. Oh, we were here, and that was really great, really. How great was it? Well, oh, here's the pictures. That's how great it was. What I'm saying is that's insane, but hey, whatever, I don't really want to upset people. People get very upset when you challenge their way of doing things. People get very upset when you challenge their way of thinking. People get very upset when you tell them that their reality is only a sliver of reality, and that it's closing out, blocking the rest of reality, and they'll never know the whole of anything because inherent in their way of thinking is a barrier to the knowing of everything because you already believe you know everything. Talk about conceit. I think that's what he said conceit. It's our conceit. The search for facts began with the study of the outer phenomenal world with the sense world, with science. It made truth seem to be only outside of ourselves. Where do we look for the truth? What did Mulder always say? The truth is out there. What is it the metaphysicians and the Sufis and the Buddhas? What are all these people saying? What did Jesus say? The kingdom of God is within you. The truth is in you. Where's everybody looking? Out there. The truth is out there. Science gave us that gift. And that's why I say the religion of science, because it is a religion. It's all about facts about matter. It sought to find the basic principle of the universe to solve its riddle, to find it out in something outside, in the atom, believing that the explanation of everything would thus be found and the ultimate cause of the universe and all that it contains would be laid bare with the God particle. We can just smash these atoms together hard enough. And two electrons, it only happens one out of every trillion times that you do this experiment. But every once in a while, one out of every trillion times, something like that, two of the little electrons or something inside the atom collide head on. And then you have no time at all. Can't measure time small enough to see the God particle before it disappears. Okay, this is what they found out. This is what they spent billions of dollars to find out. Why didn't they ask me? For 10%, I'd have told them the truth. I can tell you why, because they wouldn't believe it. Because our sense thinking will not allow us to think beyond the senses. There's a natural barrier to it. Everything was submitted to weighing and measuring, and the mathematical treatment of phenomena began. One kind of thinking became predominant, which, starting from the visible, concerns itself only with what can be termed external truth, and particularly with quantities. How much is that? The older, pre-scientific thought concerned itself mainly with qualities. Regarded only as a physical body, man is an infinitesimal quantity of matter in the universe of matter. You have to see that you're not even a grain of sand on the beach in the universe. Our galaxy is not even a grain of sand on the beach in the universe. And this is just the known universe. We have no idea what is beyond the known universe. We have some theories that we'll say are true, but we know it's not. And anyone who's going to be honest about it will say we don't know. So taken as a measurable quantity in a universe of measurable quantities, we're ruled out of the picture. What difference do you make if you talk about weight, actual quantity, what someone weighs, the the volume, the space that they take up, in a universe this vast, what do you matter? Think about it. This is what the religion of science is selling us these days, and we're buying it. Conceive his material bulk in comparison with the earth. He vanishes so that thinking only quantitatively about ourselves and the universe and starting from the visible, demonstrable, weighable side of things, we think in the direction of our own annihilation as individuals. No wonder we have an ex-generation. No wonder we have a generation of people who have... What's the point? What's the point? Where else could this religion lead us? When you are nothing and there's no hope of ever being anything, no matter how fat you get at McDonald's, you're still not going to weigh enough to matter. Not in the universe. No matter how many little old ladies you run over and kill in killing crosswalks, you're still not going to matter. In the universe? Not according to this, not quantitatively. Wow, that's depressing, isn't it? I mean, I can understand why they would be depressed. Man is composed of qualities. These don't lend themselves to measurement or to mathematical treatment, save fictitiously. It's impossible to say of a man, let his courage equal X and his capacity for affection equal Y. And in this way, represent him in mathematical symbols. With the increasing predominance of external over internal truth, all that truly belonged to man came to be looked upon as a secondary and unreal And the primary and real field for investigation was held to lie in that which existed independently of man's mind in the external world. In other words, we looked at guys who had knowledge of man's spirituality and psychology as idiots because they were wrong about the dome over the earth. They were wrong about the earth being a flat surface. They were wrong about those things. Clearly, those idiots couldn't tell us anything that made any sense about anything. So we threw them all out. And the new idiots became the scientists, the high priests of that religion of empirical knowledge and proofs. Do I sound like I'm ranting? Just a little? No? Then you agree with me. That's really sad. See, (laughs) See, here's when I don't sound like I'm ranting. When you agree. Anybody who doesn't agree? That maniac's ranting. The transition between the quantitative and qualitative standpoints is well expressed in the following passage. Till the time of Galileo, which was the 17th century... It had always been taken for granted that men and nature were both integral parts of a larger whole. In other words, something like, we're all part of the organic film that coats this planet, and this planet needs it, and the solar system needs it, and the galaxy needs it, and the universe needs that. So we're all part of that. We're all part of this integral whole of the universe, unified universe, in which man's place was the more fundamental. Whatever distinctions might be made between being and non-being, between primary and secondary, man was regarded as fundamentally allied with the positive and the primary. In the philosophies of Plato and Aristotle, this is obvious enough. The remarks hold true, nonetheless, for the ancient materialists. Man's soul, for Democritus, was composed of the very finest and most mobile fire atoms, which statement at once allied it to the most active and causal element in the outside world. Indeed, to all important ancient and medieval thinkers, man was a genuine microcosm. In him was exemplified such a union of things, primary and secondary, as truly typified their relations in the vast macrocosm, whether the real and primary be regarded as ideas or as some material substance. All I can say is, he's really out there now, Morris Nickel. He's really out there now, and we're like James. We want to start texting and checking our email, because this is making us think. And that's not fun. Texting and checking our email is a lot more fun. Watching movies is even more fun. Playing tiddlywinks is even fun. Backgammon, Monopoly, television, anything other than this. Because you have to make some effort. You have to make some effort because you don't know Democritus. You never heard of him, or maybe one of you did. Okay, you've heard of Plato and Aristotle, but could you tell me what they said? Could you tell me much of anything about them? No, no. You could just throw their names around like Thoreau. And Emerson, Thoreau, the name around, like Emerson. Ah, sorry. Now, in the course of translating this distinction of primary and secondary into terms suited to the new mathematical interpretation of nature, we have the first stage in the reading of man quite out of the real and primary realm. So now, when we start this weighing, measuring, now man is just this insignificant thing. What does that mean? What actually difference has it made in the quality of our lives? Well, I can tell you this kind of thinking made communism possible man was no longer a spiritual being cuz there isn't anything spiritual it's all empirical it's all scientific it's all wearable measurable so man became a unit like an inch or a centimeter or a millimeter man became a unit and units were expendable and torture became just an experiment of making a unit do what you wanted it to do. And we got further and further and further away from human beings and closer and closer to units, scientific units. And what happened? Well, we had to build walls to keep the people in the laboratories where we were experimenting on them. And when they tried to get out, we'd machine gun them and leave their bodies there and leave them moaning and bleeding. And if anybody tried to help them, we'd machine gun them because that's how you teach units to do what you want them to do. There are people who don't even know that there was ever a Berlin Wall because it went down in what, 81? No, 89. It was 89. That's when it was. Because it went down in 89, there's some people weren't alive then. And they don't teach you anything in school anymore except how to text and check your email. So how could anyone know unless somebody told them? And how could you tell them? They don't have the attention span to listen to it. I mean, you're strained now and you had almost an education. And you're straining the limits of your concentration. You're straining the limits of your ability to follow this. And I'm not making you wrong. I'm reading it. You're not sitting there looking at it. So it's even more difficult. You've got to hear it and somehow translate it. I get to see it, hear it, say it, and somehow translate it. Plus, I get to look at it ahead of time. Plus, I have a lot more experience with these things. Obviously, man was not a subject suited to mathematical study. His performances couldn't be treated by the quantitative method, except in the most meager fashion. His life was a life of colors and sounds, of pleasures, of griefs, of passionate loves, of ambitions and strivings. So the real world must be, it was thought, the world outside of man, the world of astronomy, the world of resting and moving terrestrial objects. That came from E.A. Burt, The Metaphysical Foundations of Modern Physical Science. Since ultimate truth and reality were sought in something outside man, investigation naturally passed into the world of atoms. Makes perfect sense. If the truth is out there, why would you want to look in you? It doesn't make any sense to look where the truth isn't. But the atom turned out to constitute no simple, easy, and non-ethical basis for the explaining way of the universe. After the atom, they had to find the proton, the neutron. After that, they had to find quarks. Now they have to find the God particle. Now that they find the God particle, they think, oh, I think there are five God particles. So now there are five God particles. See, now any metaphysician would instantly go to, well, you'd do a lot better with either three or seven God particles, because that makes more sense. It's more in line with the laws that we know that 12, 7, the octave, 3, the law of 3, a triad, so it would be a lot more sensible to look in that direction. But no, no, that's not what we do, because all of that, that Plato and that Aristotle and that Jesus and that Buddha and that Gandhi and all that stuff, that's never going to tell us the truth. The truth is not inside you. The truth is in the atom. If we could just split it down, then we have to split it again, and we have to split it again, and we have to split it again. And we get at the subatomic level, and what do we find? Oh, crap. Nothing is the way we thought it was going to be. One thing can be in two places at once, and then it can disappear and be no place, and then it can reappear someplace else and someplace else, miles apart at the same time. One thing. That's how we get. That's how they get. I just left. So the atom proved to be of extraordinary complexity, a small universe in itself. Searching more and more into small parts and seeking always to explain the whole by its parts, science reached further mysteries. So they had to have more theories. And then more theories makes more theories. And they're all still theories, which means it's all still a mystery. On its philosophical side, it now begins to turn towards ideas that are similar to those with which pre-scientific thought was concerned. Theories. Now they have to look to mysticism. Now science is having to become mystical. In other words, pre-scientific thought. But what we have especially to notice is that the form of thought which starts from the visible, from fact tends to rule man out of the picture. And so you end up with things like communism. People have the delusion that it puts him more strongly into the picture, partly because they do not understand that man is himself essentially invisible. All that is most real for him lies in his invisible life, and relatively, the visible is not nearly so real to him, although the power of appearances makes it look like it is. If we start with the visible, then in order to explain it, we must pass into its parts. If we seek to explain man by his organs, his organs by the cells composing them, the atoms by electrons, we lose sight of the man as a whole. Under the microscope, the man himself completely disappears. I can tell by the glazed look on your face that it's time to stop. We're finally back to where we started. Man is invisible. We can't see the forest for the trees, and we can't see anything now because we're looking at subatomic particles now. And man is lost. The only thing that man is good for now is he is now the god of exploration. Our conceit has lifted us to the point where we are now the explorers of a vast unknown universe, and all these mysteries that just happened until we can figure it out. We'll fix it, all right.